Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that the doors to my marketing playbook are opening very, very soon. If you're a service provider and want to learn how to market your business like a pro, this six-week program is for you. Head on over to mymarketingplaybook.com forward slash course to pop your name in the wait list and I'll send you an email as soon as the doors are open. All right, let's get going. Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can create an amazing business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Hello, and welcome back to the show. It is so good to be with you today. Now, This is a special episode because I am joined by my dear friend, Glenn James, host of My Millennial Money and founder of Sort Your Money Out. Now, Glenn is a boss financial advisor who helps countless people get on top of their finances through his podcast and his digital courses. And actually, I should say, he has multiple podcasts. He's kind of building a bit of an empire over here. So definitely worth checking out as well. Now, what I love about Glenn is he is really passionate about helping small business owners achieve financial freedom. So I know you're going to find what Glenn has to say, his tips and strategies, really, really helpful. In today's conversation, we cover the biggest money mistakes small business owners make, the key financial metrics you need to be measuring in your business, how Glenn moved from a traditional business model to an online business model, and how to know when you're ready to invest more money into your business. This is a good one, my friends. You're going to love it. Let's dive in to my conversation with my dear friend, Glenn James. Well, Glenn, so good to have you on the show. And it's so good to be interviewing you today because I feel like I've been on your show a bunch of times and it's so nice to have you in the hot seat this time. So thank you for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about all the things. I love small business. I love business. And yeah, I get a bit nervous when I get interviewed. So be gentle with me. What? Do you get nervous when you get interviewed? Yeah. Really? You're... Yeah. This is is your jam. This is your zone. I know. But at least like when you're interviewing somebody else, they've got to have all the answers. You're just facilitating where people are listening for me for answers. (laughs) I feel more nervous interviewing because I feel like if it goes weird, that's on me. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if it gets awkward, <laughs> if there's weird silences, that's kind of yeah. my bad. Well, tell us about what you do. Tell us about My Millennial Money and actually how you came to start this empire that you were building. Yeah. So, the medium story is, because it's not short or long, it's, um, it was first a side hustle and a bit of a hobby and a passion that I wanted to, I guess, help more people with their money because I was a financial advisor for 12 years. I had a a bricks and mortar practice and had clients coming in and I was helping clients. And over the years, it became apparent that people would come in and say, hey, Glenn, I need financial advice. And I'll say, no, you just need a budget or no, you just need to get out of debt or no, you just need a goal. So, 
And it was kind of this cool thing, like I developed a seminar that was also a face-to-face seminar and people come along and um, I think you came to one of them and, you know, family and friends came and I was just helping people with their money. And it got to the point in my professional life and business life that I had had enough of doing face-to-face, one-to-one, and I really wanted to do one-to-many because Oh, for like years, I've been all up in, you know, online business, scalable stuff. And I just didn't have the right thing that I could put all my energy and everything I'd been learning over the years. And I, I just had to have a scalable product to do that. And I could not do it face to face because I was limited by the hours in the day and the available the availability of me to be there. So I started, uh, actually started my first podcast was called sort your money out. And I think I only did two seasons and it's not even on iTunes or Spotify anymore. I've taken it down, but you know, that sucked and that's all good. Um, but, (laughs) but I was learning and, um, you know, that's a story in itself. And then I just wanted to change the complete strategy around what I was doing. And I, I moved into doing, you know, I wanted to do infotainment. So, entertain, give information, have fun doing it. And I was doing that on the side and it got to the point where I had to dedicate more time. So I sold my financial planning business and started the podcast stuff. And then it became apparent that it was the right place at the right time. Podcasts were really getting popular and yeah, I just went for it. Talk to me about, because I, you know, as your friend, I kind of was there in the middle of all of that happening, but it must've been a big jump to, you had this really successful financial advice practice. You had loads of clients and, you know, in a way it was kind of like the, your financial advice firm was at its peak when you went, I'm going to go into this podcasting. How did you come to that conclusion? And how did you have the guts to make that leap? Yeah. So I think a lot of your listeners be probably of the mindset that if you are a small business owner, you're probably a bit of a builder. So it's like, I need to build something. I want to make it bigger. I want to work on it and see it grow. So, you know, I had my business for 10 years and it got to the the point where as a financial advisor, I was on the board of uh, an industry body, the Association of Financial Advisors. I'd won, I think, three or four awards uh, for the business and for being a financial advisor. And thirdly, you know, we don't go into business because it's a charity. I was making really good money and it's kind of like, oh, I'm at the peak now. I've got nothing else to build because if I keep building and I kind of did start and I think I had like five employees at the time. And it's like the bigger I build this service-based business, the more actual drama there is going to be because I'm going to have to have more people. It's just like- and I'm like, nah, yeah. I've built this. It's time to move on. And and that's why it kind of wasn't a um, stop, sell, get out and be cashed up and like, oh, what am I going to do? It was a, I was building something on the side and I had a bit of a plan and and took that risk. Yeah, I feel like people who can leave something that's not working is one thing, but someone like leaving something that's quite successful is another thing entirely. So the in the industry- did people look at you because you did this really early on because it wasn't, mm. it wasn't, you know, it feels like in a way every man and his dog has a podcast now. But at that point, mm. it kind of 
was a bit like, at least here in Australia, it wasn't as common. Did people in the industry, like your colleagues, were they like, what have you done? You've lost your mind. Oh, I mean, some of the old school advisors and people like, you know, there are still people that don't know what a podcast is and they don't have to be in the industry. But yeah, yeah. a lot of people didn't understand the revenue model. Um, they just didn't understand. Uh, mm. But, you know, I'd always surround myself with people that were of similar mindsets. And, you know, I was looking out my window this morning and I saw a couple of birds in the tree and I thought to myself, birds of a feather flock together. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice saying. And, that, and that's true of like business and life. Like I was always around, you know, there was a conference that a few of us advisors went to in the States. So, there was like maybe 10 of us who were kind of all of the same feather. Like we wanted to do the online stuff. So, it, I, I just kind of turned down the discouragement because a lot of the time it wasn't from a genuine, I hate you, I want you to not succeed. I think it was a from a place of, I don't understand what you're about to do. So, I don't think you'll be able to do it. And yeah, so, that's kind of where it was at. And I mean, yeah, sure. The financial planning business for me, it was printing money. I was doing very well. And, you know, on My Millennial Money, a lot of people say, oh, how can I, you know, get the best share investment or the best property investment? I'm like, you have a good bloody business. It will print 30% a year for you. And so, for me, that was an ultimate investment. So, yeah, so sold that. Um, sold it right as they kind of announced the findings of the Royal Commission into banking and financial services misconduct. And I think at the time that Royal Commission cost me $400,000, but, you know, that was out of my control and I still wanted to, you know, the analogy, stuff the cheese, I'm getting away from the trap. I need the mindset space to not worrying about clients calling me with the one question here or one question there. Because at the end of my financial planning business, I wasn't really taking on new clients for like the last year of it. And I wasn't of the personality that I could actually do two things that were kind of different at once because I needed that runway space in my mind that was completely clear. So, it was yeah. just, all right, let's get out while the going's good. Still got out a really good time. And yeah, just yeah. took that risk. Yeah, and, and it's actually a crazy time to be an advisor. I was chatting with someone the other day and they were like, my licensing fees are, have just quadrupled in the last however long. So it's it's a crazy – the finance game is a crazy space to be in and, and I know that you've had to navigate whether you're still licensed as an advisor and all of that stuff as, you know, being a general advice podcast. But talk to us about, you know, in that journey from – and I know we're going to get into some small business and money tips because that's your zone. But talk to us about when you made the leap from running this one-to-one service-based business to this now online business where you're monetizing the podcast, you're selling digital products, you're doing courses, you've got so many things in the works. And now you've got multiple podcasts as well. What have been some of the missteps that you've taken in that process? Yeah. So, in my business journey, I would say the missteps and I guess things that I did wrong, and it was probably because I didn't know any better. The things I did wrong in my financial planning business was I didn't take risks early enough. So, I worked, uh, I was like a one person show for the first two years and did everything myself. Like, 
you know, everyone who's in small business knows what it's like to do everything themselves. Yeah. My first big <laughs> step that I took was get a bookkeeper. Like I just hated doing that. So it was that risk of cash flow versus paying for a service, but you know, you pay for that service and you get a bit of your life back and a bit of your soul back. Um, and then I think it was after two years, I employed someone part-time. And then uh, a year later, she went full-time. And then I, you know, scaled up with the people point of view and then, you know, really built the team. Now, what I've done in my new business is, and I don't know if it's just more mental fortitude that I have or risk profile is higher, but you know, within the first year of doing this podcast full time, I basically already had a staff member. And then like, I think with the second year in kind of doing it full time, I think I had two full time people and, you know, you'd contract out, but now there's a team of um, one, two, three, four and a half, close to five people. So where it took me like five years to get to that point, I've really compressed that down into the very early startup stage and taking the risk just to, you know, scale up fast. And, you know, you can't actually do everything yourself. You've got to get help and you've got to find the right people that can do the right thing, that love doing that thing, that also yeah. works within your team and culture. Yeah. So, And I feel like the thing with you is that you could edit the podcast yourself, right? Like you could, in, you know, in your earlier business, in theory, you understood how to use zero. you could do all the bookkeeping yourself. Yeah. I used to do the bookkeeping on a Saturday every fortnight when I got paid. And I was like, this is soul destroying. I hate this. <laughs> I could do it, but it didn't give me joy. It didn't make me like my life. And then that's when it went on, you know, I was doing the admin and like investment and insurance applications myself. I was like, yeah, I can do this. I know how to do it all, but it was killing my soul and making me hate what I ordinarily love doing. So then, you know, you get an admin assistant and then an admin manager or whatever. So I'm just now outsourcing stuff that one, I don't know how to do or two, I don't like doing. Yeah. And and I had a conversation with a client this week who I was like, you need a VA to do all this stuff. Like you don't like, you're not great with the tech stuff. You don't like doing it. You just need to outsource it. And And he had this moment of, well, no, I can't because then it's more time I have to spend teaching them how to do it. And it's I totally get it because it's the trap we fall into, but actually it's such a good investment. And I love that that's one of your missteps because I feel like like not investing in staff soon enough because I feel like that is something that a lot of us can relate to in like kind of we have this, you know, as business owners, we're kind of control freaks a little bit, right? <laughs> so there's this thing of not wanting to hand something off. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I like always, anytime I'm talking to small business owners, I'm always like, get a bloody bookkeeper. Like, <laughs> just like yelling. Like, you just need to do it. Like, yes. it's just that low hanging fruit that you just need to outsource to make your life better. I love it. Yeah. So good. So, let's talk practical money, yep. small business tips, because I know that, you know, you've got so much wisdom on this. And also, like, for listeners to know, we have, Glenn and I have worked together a long time and I, you were one of my, I feel like you were the client that tipped me over. <laughs> I, Where are you going I, with this? <laughs> I realise that, yeah, you now tipped me over. Now you're fully medicated and you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Now I see my psychologist three times a week and it's fantastic. No, you were the client that really, when I started working with you, I quit my, my job because mm. I had enough work to then go full-time in the business. And you really helped me in a lot of this stuff in knowing what to charge charging you know for what you're worth and really assigning yourself value the business mindset thing of actually I remember one time I I called you and I think I was like in tears going I signed on this client and I did all this work and then they pulled out and they hadn't paid anything and I will never forget you were like business is brutal business is brutal and and you said you don't pick up a pencil until people pay you and I remember Mm. just being like okay I don't I don't do anything. And it sounds like, oh, you know, that's not believing the best in people and all that stuff. But actually that advice alone has helped me so much. And it's something you have, you can only learn by having that mistake, right? But you've got a lot of knowledge in business and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah. So I think you just have to, I mean, confidence is such a big thing. One of the things that I did really well in my last business was confidently I knew my stuff. And I always say to people uh, in business, like if you want to start a bakery, okay, don't just go and buy a bakery and think that you can be a baker. No, you need to know how to freaking bake. And you could be the best baker in the world and be crap at running a business or the best business owner in the world, but your product sucks. So you really have to be confident. And when I was 27, um, yeah, I was 27. I had orthodontics because I wanted to do some housekeeping on my teeth. And that's a sidebar if you want to get uh, <laughs> orthodontics do it because, I yeah, well, I had that little gap in there and I just wanted some housekeeping. Um, yeah. And I went to this client and he was a, uh, a doctor. He earned almost $2 million a year and 27-year-old guy walking in. I had braces at the time. I was like, what the hell am I doing? Because he needed some insurance. And then I was in his waiting room and I thought, hang on, he's the professional, I'll say cardiologist, I'll make something up to keep privacy and all that. He's the bloody cardiologist. I'm the professional. He knows nothing about what I know. So I had that level of confidence. And I always say like, if you are, you know, in the trenches and doing deals and people ask you a question that you might not know, I'm like, I'm holding my hand next to me right now. When they're asking you the hard questions, it's okay to pretend that they're asking this board next to you where my hand is. So, all right, you've asked this question. Let's look at the question. So, you don't have to just take it on and get in a fluster. So, it's like, yeah. Laura, how do I solve all my SEO, SEO problems? L- let me know. So, instead of you going, uh, 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 like you put me on the spot or whatever that is, you're like, okay, that's the question. Well, I'm going to get back to you on a couple of things, but I'm probably digressing. But a lot of it was confidence and you need yeah. to know your stuff. I don't want to go to your freaking bakery if you just bought it and you're not a good baker. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And and conversely, like you might have the best product in the world, but if you're a rude asshole and you don't have a good client engagement system or whatever, you're not going to uh, get the clients to come back and rave about your business. Totally. And I think there's also this thing of, and I'm curious about how you did this because a lot of business owners are technicians, right? We have this, we're good at our skills. So like for me, I'm like, I'm good at marketing. But when I started my business, I realized very quickly, I don't know how to run a business. 
I don't have that skill. And so I was entrepreneurial in nature, but I actually didn't, I needed to really consciously work on the skills of how does a business owner actually operate? How, how does mm. all, you know, how does the money stuff work? That stuff to me was so stressful. How do contracts work? How do all these, these parts that make a successful business work, not just the technical delivery of what we do. But how did you go from being a financial advisor? Like that's kind of your trade. That's your, where you're a technician. How did you go from that to, okay, now I am a media company that it's actually an on totally online business. How did you shift, you know, mentally in your mind from I'm a financial advisor to no, I'm actually, I'm a marketer. I'm an online business owner. I'm a podcaster. It's probably not the answer you want for your listeners, but it's entertaining nevertheless. Um, <laughs> it was actually, the transition to me was so bloody easy. And it was only easy in the unique sense that as a financial advisor, heavily regulated, you get audited, you got to just be so like compliant and onto it and no room to be wild. Where for me, online business, no rules, baby. Yeah, this is freaking <laughs> awesome. Like, so I like I can put an episode up and mention a brand and receive $100,000 cash for it and not have to disclose it. Like it's the wild west. Now, that kind of speaks to morals and ethics. And, you know, we always mention if it's a sponsored episode because I need to sleep at night. But I mean, <laughs> so from going into like a heavily regulated environment to the wild west, I actually I had dinner one night with the at the time, the communications minister in Canberra. And I said, oh, what about podcasts? He's like, eh, do what you want, Wild West. Like, for me, it was a breath of fresh air. And yeah, I, I don't know if that's the right question I can answer to give a practical answer to. Yeah. Because no, it's a little I, bit unique. Yeah. And I love that you're kind of, you in financial advice in a very compliant industry, knowing you, it's like you're- <laughs> having someone restrict you with rules and all of that, it's like, that's not really your style. It's really not really your personality. So. Yeah, it's, it was a while, but I guess, and this is the whole thing, like for the, the 10 or 15 years before I launched My Millennial Money, I was heavily invested in reading entrepreneurial books, watching YouTube stuff, going to conferences. And I was just waiting for the right time to execute my online product. You know, Laura, I, um, you might not even know this and I'll send you the link later. In 2011, when the whole apps thing was taking off, I started to develop uh, kids apps and I wanted to use that as the online product and heap of lessons there and it, it didn't kind of work after I kind of probably wasted 16 or 20 grand. But, you know, those things that I learned, I could totally fully execute with my millennial money. Yeah. So cool. Okay, let's talk let's talk practical money things because I know yeah, you've just got so much wisdom on this front. For small business owners who are starting out or who are scaling and and really wanting to really grow their business, what do you think are the biggest money mistakes that small business owners make? They overcommit too early and they use debt. And I made this I made a mistake uh, in 2010, uh, my first year of uh, business. I was mainly word of mouth organic and I had an opportunity to advertise a local print thing. And it was like $1,000 and 
And it was a risk. And at the time, it could have been $100,000 because there wasn't really a difference between a thousand and a hundred thousand. I didn't really have any of them. So it was kind of like, <laughs> it was kind of like the same. It's like, yeah, well, it may as well be a hundred grand because it was quite the stretch. So anyway, we did the design work. We sent it all in. I paid them. And I, I did not get a phone call for that marketing campaign. And does it speak to bad marketing? Maybe. Uh, but two years later, I was going through some old files on my Dropbox and I saw this campaign. I'm like, oh, there it is. I'll open it up and have a look at the old ad that we did. And lo and behold, my phone number was wrong. So, <laughs> it goes to- <laughs> So, what it- I spent $1,000, which was a lot of money. But what happens in small business, people run out and get a loan or a personal loan or whatever. And the good news is if you are using debt for your business and you get a winner, you will multiply your gains. But the bad news is with debt, if you do something dumb. So, if I had a personal loan for 20 grand for the business, I'm like, I'll just put five grand behind that marketing campaign it can magnify your losses and just add another level of stress. So, you know, like the old armies, I'm watching a movie on Netflix at the moment called First Night from 1995. And it's just ridiculous. Like it's Richard <laughs> Gere, Sean Connery. Like, I don't know why I'm watching it, but that's my life uh, is a mess. But it's there's like there's armies, right? And it's old school and Camelot and Lancelot. And um, so armies can only go forward as fast as the support team to feed the army can travel behind them. So, you need to slow down, be organic. And if you are going to scale up and do it fast, you've got to make sure your ducks are lined up and you've got to make sure your product stacks up. And so, for me with My Millennial Money, we were the first Aussie personal finance podcast by Aussies for Aussies. Like that, as far as I know, like there might've been other ones that, but I mean kind of mainstream popular mm. that I can think of. Um, and I could be wrong, but it's just the only one that I knew of. And the reason I started that because I couldn't find any other ones. So, it was like right place, right time, right product. And I went hard on it and it paid off. But if it was a podcast about, gosh, fraudulent art from 1920s, um, <laughs> not yes. sure if- <laughs> If the product would stack up for the uh, the strategy that I had. So, it, it just speaks to that uh, knowing what you're doing, be confident, line your ducks up and don't use debt because debt also makes you lazy. So, debt's like, oh, I'll just do this. I'll borrow it. And you don't really think about it. But if it's your last thousand dollars, geez, you're going to think about it. Geez, you're going to make sure that, you know, you can really make it stretch. Totally. That makes so much sense. And what would you say, because I think a lot of small business owners feel a little bit like, and maybe it's not all, maybe it's just creative small business owners, feel a little allergic to numbers, like actually even knowing, even having a dashboard of your finances, that for for a lot of people is like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. What mm. would be your biggest piece of advice to someone who is like that and feels a bit like it's just too overwhelming to even get a handle on? Yeah. So, number one, you need to make sure your business account is not the same as your groceries account. So, I want you to have a separate transactional account for the business. I want you to have a separate savings account for the business. You need to speak to a bookkeeper 
that gets you and you need to say to the bookkeeper, hey, I'm not good with numbers. I'm not a dummy, but I don't love being in the weeds. I need you to do the books of my business every single month and I need you to give me a high level snapshot and show me trends. Because for me as a small business owner, uh, you look for trends. Like you've got a podcast, Laura. I've got a podcast. Um, if you had five reviews in a row that said, uh, you know, Laura doesn't know anything, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. If you had one out of a hundred that said, Laura doesn't know anything, yeah, that's one person. So you need to look for trends. And with the numbers, don't get stuck in the weeds and maybe just ask the bookkeeper, hey, give me a monthly report. Can you walk me through what it means and how to read these? And um, really, if they can't do that, they're the wrong person. I've had to change bookkeepers uh, before because they just didn't get what I wanted to do. Yeah. And what what trends would you be looking for like specifically in that? Yeah, I think what I'd be looking for is obviously you need to be running at a profit, okay? So, and maybe it's like to the bookkeeper and and even with your accountant once a year, okay? Um, Can you show me parts of the business that is growing or is not growing? And it's that garbage in, garbage out. So, you know, if you are running a, I'll just use the word, a cafe, you really want to make sure your data is good. So, you know, we want to know at the click of a button what is the number one drink sold. We want to know what the number one meal is sold because then we can actually work out that, oh, those super smoothies, you know, they're a pain in the ass to make. They take one of the staff members three minutes. They don't really sell. It's annoying us. The data says it's actually not growing and it's really, if it didn't exist, it wouldn't matter. So, I'd I'd start to look for that. And I don't know if I've answered the question, but certainly I'd want to make sure that um, there isn't an ongoing trend of no profit. I'd also want to make sure that you are actually earning market rates in terms of a minimum. So, so for you, Laura, I'll pick on you. You're um, a senior agency person in a marketing business. Hmm. You know, the, the market rate for that salary might be 80 to 100 grand. It might be 150 grand. It might be 200 grand. Whatever that is, you need to get to the point probably after year three or four, if you're actually not earning yourself market rates as a bare minimum, you need to change something or go get a job because you're taking on risk and you're not getting rewarded for that risk. So, the risk that you might be taking on. Um, so, if the market rate's 80 grand and you do the financials in the last two years, oh, we've only taken 70 grand home. You've got to just go, okay, I'm getting paid under market rates. I'm carrying the stress. I'm carrying the risk. So, you might be in a business that you could get sued or whatever or the drum. There's just risk, okay? You employ people. There's risk that they could fall over and slip. You're just carrying that risk. So, if you're carrying that risk, you need to be making at least market rates for your salary and then profit in the business. So, I've told plenty of clients over the years, you need to go get a freaking job because you're not doing your family any favors because you're actually wasting your time. And it sounds really blunt and rude, uh, (laughs) but sometimes you need to just get to the point and shake someone. Yeah, totally. I love that. That's such good advice because, you know, initially, and I love that you kind of give it a timeline as well, because I think initially, you know, if, you, if you're building a business, there is this element of sacrifice. And I remember when I first started, I was literally living off, I think I was living off 400 bucks a week, yeah. <laughs> hummus and crackers 
And honestly, like, I don't know how I was living. I actually don't know. Mm. And actually, I think my room, I worked from my office. I worked from my house and I, it was actually pretty moldy <laughs> now that I think about <laughs> it. So, sounds that's not really, it sounds really healthy. But, you know, there is this element of initially sacrificing, but it's funny. And, and this probably leads me to my next question because now in the business, you know, we can afford to pay me significantly better than that which is great and but there is this mindset shift of you feel a little like oh my gosh what happens if you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit like it's a bit like Mm. if I pay myself this rate then what happens if the clients just disappear or the work dries up or people stop coming to my cafe or whatever and so I think there's this mindset shift involved in that in paying yourself more so talk to us about how much do you think mindset comes into play when it comes to actually paying ourselves? Mm. I, in my small business, and I still run a small business, the first couple of years, uh, and for me, it was kind of strategy. I wanted to heavily invest. Uh, so, I, I started My Millennial Money and um, the business that owns My Millennial Money is called Simo Interactive. So, I started Simo Interactive. I put some seed capital into it. And I'm like, okay, first couple of years, I don't expect to draw anything. Every profit that I make, I want to reinvest into the business and then hopefully get to the point where I can draw a salary. But the my goal at the time was, and I was in a position where I did have some cash in my own name, that this business needs to stand up on its own and we need to get it to that point really soon. So, for me, the mindset was, Knowing, looking at the numbers, looking at trends, looking that this is growing, being very strategic with who we work with and how we make money. And then it got to the point where um, I wasn't earning money and I told the team that, hey, just to let everyone know, like, I'm still not drawing money out of this because I wanted to take the team on the journey. Uh, But from the 1st of January this year, I decided to... And, and you look at the day-to-day cash flow and you think, oh, this is weird. I don't know if I could set up, you know, $1,200 a week or whatever it was. So, I, I made the decision from January 1, I am paying myself, I think I just did 80 grand or something like that, 88 grand package, including super from the 1st of January this year. Now, I struggle with that because I'm like, I just couldn't see the act. I just like, that's a lot of money, but looking at the data, looking at the trends, I knew that the money would be there and, you know, we're almost halfway through the year and I've my number one thing in the business each week is to pay cash flow. The number two thing is to, pl- to pay bills of other small businesses. And the number three thing is, you know, if I owe Telstra or Energy Australia money, I would rather be a week late with them than a week late to a small business or to my staff. So, the number one priority in my business is to make sure every single week payroll is made and within that payroll, my salary package is now paid. So, it was um, it was a bit of back myself, I need to start drawing. And, and this is this, like my studio here, Laura, like you've been to it. I've got a lot of tech, okay? So, my type of vibe was, well, the podcast used to be my hobby when I was doing financial planning. Now, my hobby is my full-time thing. I need a new hobby. So, I turned the tech thing into hobby, right? Yeah. So, I, I've just, pre- and I'm a spender by nature. So, 
you know, there's new studio monitors here and I walked into the music shop the other day and I felt a bit spendy and there was money in the business account and I wanted to upgrade the studio monitors. So, for me, I needed to make sure that I was getting paid because if there was money laying around, it would grow legs. So, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of yes. a protection mechanism as well. <laughs> and do you find like now, I don't know if this is like a law of money or I don't know, but it feels like when you take a really considered step into investing in yourself and actually assigning yourself value and going, all right, I need to pay myself more. My experience has been whenever I do that, more work just seems to show up. I don't know if it's like a a principle in life where if you invest in yourself that actually something happens where it's a bit more like, okay, great, you're more open to opportunities or, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's it's so weird. And it goes back to that's why I wasn't scared to hire good team members sooner rather than later. Mm. Because, you know, I'd watched this movie before and it got to the point where I was not going to be doing everything myself for two or three years straight because my unique um, thing in the business is basically I'm part of the product and the CEO of it. So, the more time that I am being the product and driving the business, the better for the business and the more revenue that we can generate. And you're absolutely right. It's just stepping out. But I'm not stepping out and pulling the trigger on something if I'm not seeing the trends. Yeah. So, that's why it's so important to look at the numbers. And, you know, weirdly, my last business, May, was a, a time of the year it was just dead. I don't know what it was, but, you know, it just didn't earn that much money in May. So, looking at trends and looking at data, I know that May's coming up. So, just chill out. It's going to be a tight cash flow month. So, it's just important to know your business cycles and plan for it. And you really can do that if you've got good data and you've got a good team behind you. And it doesn't have to be complex. So, it's just all about looking for trends. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, how do you know for you, and I guess let's use the investing in people as an example, also asking for a friend, i.e. me, (laughs) (laughs) how do you know when you're ready to take the leap and invest more money into your business or into hiring? Like, how do you actually, because there is a gap, you know, obviously talking about looking at the trends, at what point do you have to just go... I've just got to take the leap. Yeah. So, I think it's two-folded or two-fold, whatever the saying is. <laughs> two-fold. Yeah. Number one. And the thing was, like I was saying to someone the other day, is like when you're building a business, you are going, 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 like you're full on flat out for, it might be the first two years, like just nonstop. That's not sustainable all the time. So, if you've been going for a period nonstop, doing some type of task and if you're like, oh, if I only didn't have to do this, life would be better. That's one thing to look at, okay, because Mm. it's not sustainable to be on all the time. The second thing is, and I'm just going to make up some numbers. um, The second thing is actually, and I'll use this analogy, you know, we work with a, a remote team basically. So, everyone in my business is remote and it's a new era of remote stuff, right? And I honestly don't know what some of my team members do day to day, right? Honestly don't know. But I use the analogy to someone the other day. It's like, this is an old school coal train 
and I'm just shoveling coals into the fire and that fire's burning them up. So if the team's the fire burning up all this work, if I'm getting to the point where I'm shoveling and the coal's coming back out <laughs> because it's full in there and it's not there's too much coal and overwhelming the flames, there's a problem. Now that problem is either pure capacity, the team is actually at capacity, or the team doesn't actually there's a, a missing link in the team. You know, we're working beyond our constitutional skill sets. So for me, it's it's almost this gut feeling thing. So I look at um, if I'm doing something that I hate doing for a, a long pro- prolonged period of time, it's time to get someone to help. Number two, if I'm generating rain and just getting all the work in, and then there's a holdup and it's not going smoothly, that's either a capacity issue or a not the right team member. Or the third reason, I've just hired another um, producer in the business to help produce the shows because I think we've got six or seven shows at the moment. And for me, that was purely a redundancy play because uh, Jess Knaus, my main producer, um, I was just like, if she got hit by a bus or wanted to have a child, another child and take time away from the business, Glenn James cannot be going back to scheduling guests, uploading, working with editors like... I'm just, if that happens, not happening on my watch. So, it was that um, I had to hire for redundancy in the team. And within that, we had a bit of capacity as well. And weirdly, I do that hire and all that. And next minute, Jess announces that she's pregnant. So, that's awesome. And she's got eight months to uh, make sure the new producer's trained up because (laughs) (laughs) I am not going back to producing. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I think it's important, you know, with your team- Pretty much every single part of my business that I hire people for, I've done myself. So, you know, uh, Nathan, our editor, was away the other day and I was lazy and didn't get a podcast up or whatever. And I kind of like to be on the tools, you know, I'm hip, I'm cool with the kids and all that. (laughs) And I edited a podcast the other day. Is it as good as what he does now? Nope. But I kind of like doing it because, you know, I'm in the game and it's a bit of a hobby still. Uh, But so- yeah, I don't know if I've answered your question, but no, that's three great. big things, capacity, yeah. redundancy, team, and making sure that you don't continue to do the one thing for a prolonged period of time that you don't like doing. Oh, that actually really helps me a lot because I have been in this thing of exactly as you're describing, that prolonged period of feeling like, mm, <laughs> I'm doing It's not all sustainable. Like, it's not. I it's so now not. categorically in my business- uh, Jess, my producer and PA, she, every two weeks in my calendar, there's, it's blacked out, which says off week. So, every two weeks, there's off week. So, we're on two weeks, off two weeks. And for me to stop burnout and the wheels spinning or turning off, the wheels falling off, every, for those two weeks, every fortnight, no one's allowed to put anything into my diary. So, and I'm always working, but I'm not quote unquote on. So, it gives me the latitude to clear my headspace to create content. If I want to watch Netflix on a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock, I can do that. It just lets me vibe it out. And if I want to book someone in and feel like doing it, I will. Uh, But my team can't book anything into my calendar uh, for two week period. And um, ordinarily, when they can book in, not before 11 a.m. because I'm not a person before 11 (laughs) a.m. I love that. It's oh, That's such good advice. Now, I want to finish up with, I feel like we could talk for ages, but I mm. want to finish up with rapid fire questions. I feel like every time I do these, they're not really rapid. But anyway, yeah. we're going to try to make it rapid. Okay. 
Finish this sentence. Success looks like. Options. Oh, yes, so good. One thing small business owners need to stop doing today. Their own bookkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's wise advice. The worst money myth you've ever heard. Uh, that you need a credit score. Oh, yes, okay. One business book you couldn't live without. Uh, the Dip by Seth Godin. Yes. Oh, you gave me that. That's a good one. That's really good. Mm. Was that rapid enough? That was good. That was really rapid. Um, okay. Love it. Final question. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I don't know any of them. What? What's your, what's your go-to then? Star Wars. Um, I like a, a, a drama or thriller, political drama. Um, oh, come on. Fantasy. Yeah, I, I'm just not heaps into fantasy stuff. I liked uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones, but... Oh, that's um, <laughs> Yeah, so sorry, I, I couldn't tell you any of the characters. I think Frodo's in Harry Potter or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. That's the one where Harry takes the ring to Mordor. It's really, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't watched any of them. Like, I just never got into it. Wasn't really? there like heaps of them? Yeah, yeah, there, there was a lot. There was a bunch. Yeah, so I know Frodo, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. You are a wizard. Thank you so much for joining us. And there's so much wisdom that you've shared. So I really, really appreciate it. Where can people follow you, find you, listen to you, all the things? Uh, usual places, whatever. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen my personality. I, I get about a good hour uh, and I checked out. <laughs> You're out. You're done. Well, thank you. I'll share links. We'll send people the link. It's going to be great. Cheers. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. So there you have it. That is the play-by-play for this week. If you want to check out any of the links that we mentioned, head on over to our show notes. And don't forget to leave us a sneaky little review if you loved the show and to join our Facebook group if you want to connect further. All right. That's all from me. I will see you next week. Same time, same place. Go get them.